This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek, show number 343, recorded on February 1st, 2018. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way. News reviews, product updates, and conversation all for the I'm your host, Jim Carlson, broadcasting live from the Amicadet TV studios here. And, uh, man, super cold and windy, Bellevue, Nebraska. Mike, I did you get outside today at all? It was, oh, I have I'm, not I'm ready outside. for spring. I need to get outside. I'm in the midst of a, a big tra- a job transition, so it's just been all inside, getting all this last-second stuff done. So, uh, yeah, I have not made it outside. Yeah, it, what case it though. Well, it was like 15 degrees, and then the wind kicked up, and it was just, and then it got oh. kind of cold. Yeah, it was. It wouldn't have been too bad except for the cold. Paul is back with us. Paul Tian is back with us. Paul, how's the weather in the Bay Area? It's got to be beautiful, right? Well, yeah, it is beautiful. It is more than beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Don't rub I'm it jealous. in. All right. Yeah, don't rub it in, Paul. We don't. We don't want to hear. Anyways, we <laughs> post the we post the show notes, world class show notes each week out at the Average Guy TV. Don't forget, you can listen to us live every single week on our mobile app. Available for you, homegadgetgeeks.com. Just head out there. iPhone, Android, both apps available for you. They're free to use. Download them. Best way to listen to the live show if you're on the road, if you're traveling, if you're in a plane, you can stream it that way. All that great stuff. Homegadgetgeeks.com. Well, I introduced him here a little bit earlier, but Paul Tien is back with us tonight. But if you if you don't remember, Paul was with us back in October, actually October 11th. It looks like Home Gadget Geeks 322. And of course, he is the founder of his new company, Morrow Data, as well as a founder of ReadyNAS, now a Netgear company. And Paul, we appreciate you coming back. Thanks for doing it. Great to have you. Well, thanks for inviting me again, Jim. No, a real, a real honor. Uh, for those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to that first interview, we spent a ton of time. If you're a, if you're a home server guy, and most of you are, or gal, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to be equal there. But if you're a home server person, Mike, you got to be careful these days what you say. Right. If you're a home server person and you got a lot of storage, and why wouldn't you? Uh, we in that episode three twenty two HGG three two two, we go back and really talk about Paul's history with NAS and NAS devices and Ready NAS and all that great stuff. We talk about how he developed the chip and the equipment and the history of it. And so head back to that if you haven't heard it yet. Just stop this one. Go back to 322, get all the history so all this stuff makes sense, and uh, and give that a listen. Paul, uh, we'd love to get, for those of you, so those folks that now are back from listening to 322, so they've, hit, they've heard all your history, but it would be awesome to get, when we left you last, uh, we, I had a device in my hand that I was using. We spent a lot of time talking about the device, its setup, the different offerings that it have. Have you had any changes in your hardware uh, since we talked to you last? So since last fall, have you updated your hardware? And yes. if you have, what have you done? So we started out with a small form factor uh, on the G40 and G80. Both are desktop devices. I have a unit right here. So you can see the size. And this has a one terabyte of SSD acting as cache for your infinite cloud storage. And from here, we added two more devices. One is a tower with a terabyte of cache. And the other one is one U with 16 terabyte of cache. So those are for larger businesses. 
Yeah, and those are new. Both those devices are new since uh, we talked to you last. The smaller device that you had, the one terabyte, uh, is what you have. That's what I have here that uh, that I'm using with you guys. Full disclosure, you guys have provided that for me for testing and evaluation purposes. Um, why the jump? I mean, oh, wow, eight terabytes of cash, then 16 terabytes of cash. Certainly, you've seen kind of an uptick in the market uh, in, in acceptance of this. How are the 8 and 16 doing as far as, I and mean, who's picking up those kinds of devices? So we have customers, say, in life science. And in life science, uh, when you do DNA sequencing, each file could be in the range of gigabytes. And with the latest DNA sequencing machine, they can actually process, say, 100 samples at a time. So you have to send up to the cloud to transfer to customers or store up to the cloud hundreds of gigabytes at one time. So we have customers that are processing several 500, 600 gigabytes in one batch. And they do this for multiple customers. So naturally they need larger caches. Uh, we also have uh, customers in media and entertainment and you imagine, you know, the video files are also very, very large in the terabyte range. So that's why we are asked to provide large capacity cache. So they can, while the upload is slow, they can all move the files to the cache drive to be uploaded. Yeah, so once the files, so I've got large files, I move them over before and before they go to the cloud, they're right. available to me in very in a very fast, uh, very fast cache position. So for folks who are following along on audio, let me just remind you, Moro Data, M-O-R-R-O-W-D-A-T-A.com, if you want to go and check this out. When we had you last, we had the G40, I think you mentioned that. That's got the that's got that one terabyte hard drive in it, but then you've got the G80 that's got an upgraded SSD, right? Those are still the same, right. same offerings. Right. That. And those are just the, uh, the, the Nook, right? Those, is that uh, those, yeah. those devices? Those, the, the small form factor is based on the Intel Nook form factor. Yeah. Just one then, quick correction, Jim. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. M-O-R-O without the W. Oh, right. Did I put a W in there? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. M-O-R-R-O. D-A-T-A, just so we right. get that right. Yeah, appreciate you doing that. I think I did that. I didn't even think about it. I think I did that automatically uh, in my head. Good correction. And then you have a T600 uh, right. with the eight terabytes. You've got a, the the R1100 with 16, yeah. right? And that's then the it, one you wreck, Mom. Yeah, that's the one you're going to send to me here at the end of the show. Is that the, <laughs> yeah. just kidding. Don't do that. I wouldn't know what to do uh, with that <laughs> much in my environment. Mike, what would you do with 16, 16 terabytes of cash available for you at the the drop of a hat what would you do oh, with that? i would love it i would start i would start actually doing all the photo and video archiving i actually need to do that i've been putting off and putting off and putting off that's what i would do yeah i'm i'm wondering i think maybe you know one to five would probably suffice yeah the 16 might be all i need like i'm not even sure i would need any more than that's awesome than that you know that's pretty that's pretty cool paul have you you guys also have in in the software behind the scenes the architecture is really designed to i can put a server in san francisco i could put one in new york and i could put one in london and they would all sync up and i can manage yes. them from a local point have you found on some of the larger servers is are those getting deployed in that way too or are you finding that your larger servers are kind of a one, it, it just staying in one place for now. 
We see both. Uh, we see people who need to collaborate using large files. Some architects, uh, they have large files they need to sync between sites. Um, you know, between we have an architecture firm, they have uh, offices in San Francisco, Hawaii, and Colorado. So that's how they collaborate. Uh, on the other hand, people really like this cache concept because cache is an infinite backup target to the cloud. So you don't have to worry about, oh, uh, my file server is full again, let me delete files so I can you know, upload more files to the cloud. Cache is, is self-managing itself. You know, it, it never runs out of space because it's a cache. So for the old files that you don't use anymore, you just automatically swap them out. So it's, it's, it's like a you know, window to unlimited storage in the cloud. However, that window itself is also infinite. So it just makes the whole uh, tier storage or backup very, very simplistic. And I like that idea on the desktop too, because it reminds me a lot of the way the phone manufacturers, I use an iPhone, so I'll use that as an example. The way photos work now, if you have the photo library turned on, it says, okay, your phone has, you know, 64 gigabytes of space. I'll, I'll locally store some of the photos, the ones you've been using most recently. Everything else is in the cloud for you, but when you click it, you can quickly bring those down and go back and forth. And I love that on the iPhone. So this concept on the desktop is is awesome. I kind of really like this idea because that it just makes a lot of sense. Like you said, you never have to worry about your local drive and how much space that has because it does have this unlimited kind of storage back to the cloud. Paul, with your let's talk about the kind of a home user because that's where a lot of uh, a lot of our folks are. We also have a lot of system administrators who could use this in a small business environment. Mm -hmm. They'll go out and check it out. But some a lot of our listeners come from a home storage. I've been evaluating it now since August and uh, and thinking of I'm always kind of thinking about you know how would I set the if this was my only storage how would I set this up? What do you find when so I have a terabyte available to me? By the way, that's probably available. That's probably good enough actually for most people, right? When you think about it, right. they're good. They're going to use that one and then never use anything in the cloud. By the way, for folks again, uh, audio only. You're in the car and you can't look this up. That that uh, that one terabyte. Um, uh, the G40 starts 4.99, and the G80 is at 8.99. Now I've I've bought home servers, and I've spent a little more than that to put those in. It's also taken up a bigger footprint. One of them is actually right over my right shoulder here, sitting right there. Even though that's a mini, it's an HP micro server. Still not the footprint of the the, the Nook, the Intel Nook. Paul, what would you find, or what would you say? So if I'm a home user. What's the most economical way for them? And, and say I have, oh, three to five terabytes in my, uh, uh, that I'm, you know, that I need access to, right? What's your advice to the home user as far as there's several different options? We're going to dig into those here in a second, but, but up front, what's the, what do you think is most economical in the services you provide for that home user who may be accessing it for photos every once in a while or a few videos every once in a while? What's the best configuration for them? So uh, you have, you mentioned several different media types or different files, right? And those files serve different purposes. So you should have a policy of, okay, what is the right media to store this type of files? If it's something you want to store and be able to access quickly, then 
this is perfect. I mean, you know, something you don't know how often you're going to access, you put it in the cloud. You don't have to worry about, you know, the reliability of the drives anymore. But the file system that you see in the cache is a window to infinity. So you see all your file system. They're all arranged in the tree structure. And you can access them any way you want to. And it depends on how, you know, say we sell to uh, some prosumers, but a lot of businesses as well. And depends on the type of critical data that they have. They may choose to say, I want to store this data in Amazon S3. Or it's photos and, then, you know, some will say, let me just store them in the Backblaze B2. So on those different price tiers, but the access, it's always the same. You always access the data from the cache, which is, you know, just like a NAS, just on different shares. So that's what we provide is to keep the same share-based folder access no matter what the backend is. Actually, you shouldn't care about, you know, what the backend looks like as long as you can get the files on demand. So that's what we provide in our product. So a typical user might have, let's just say you're a photographer and you've got, um, let's just say I have 15, well, that's a bit too big. Let's just say I have five terabytes of pictures. And so I may, and, I, and Backblaze may be more economical, and I think it is, the Backblaze uh, B2, maybe right. a little more economical than keeping on, on Amazon. And so I yes. can create an account through Backblaze and start backing those up. I can push most of those pictures, right? In fact, I'm going to want to push all of those pictures to my backup because I'm going to want them to be in the cloud. It's going to, I'm going to take those pictures, I'm going to move them on to the drive, Right. And then it's automatically going to start syncing yes. that, right, with the B2. Yes. Now, it's going to keep some pictures local, though. It, it's going to yes. keep up to a terabyte, right? How yes. does it determine which one it keeps at that point? Is it kind of based on usage, or how is it going to determine that? The most recently used is kept in the cache. So if you access it, if you just write into it, we assume you're going to may want to write, uh, read from it again. So it's the most recently accessed, either read or written, that is kept in the cache. And we, we manage that automatically so the user doesn't need to do anything special. Yeah, that's the, actually the part I like the best, especially when we think about the user doesn't have to do anything, right? Mike, uh, you know, you can just push all your pictures to the NAS, set it and forget it. Now, uh, what if they're video files? What if they're large? I'm a one terabyte guy and I'm pushing around, you know, pretty large video files. And I go to access one that's in backup or it's in the cloud. Um, what happens then? Do I have to wait for that to come down? How does that work? Yeah. So if the file is not in the cache, then you wait for it to come down. You just click on it and then, uh, you know, you have to wait a little bit for the file to be downloaded. But usually download is much faster than upload. So the architecture, the cache architecture makes sense, you know, for a asymmetric bandwidth slow upload, fast download, but you know the access is always from the cache. So you feel as if you're accessing the file most of the time at a gigabit uh, throughput. So yeah. 
Not here in Nebraska, by the way, but go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Very true. So <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, a gigabit at the uh, the land speed is no, that right. Yes, no, we know what you mean, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> so if I had one of these devices set up, so I do a, a drone photography business. Let's say I get back in from a shoot. I'm dumping all of this 4K footage off of the drone. I can put it straight onto this device, right? And let's say let's say it's less than a terabyte. So does it take any time? Let's say I already had a terabyte cached. I dump all this footage, let's say 500 gigs. Does it take any time to say, oh, hey, no, I got to upload that other stuff before you can start putting any data on? Or is it ready to go kind of right away for when I've dumped that footage there? It's ready to go right away and automatic. So you don't need to do anything. Uh, Immediately, we'll just swap out the files uh, that needs to be swapped out while still keeping all the metadata in the cache, so you still see those files. Okay. Every you know, you always see your complete file system. So you know the whole file list. You always see that. It's just that some of the files will become what we call the stub files, just the metadata, and just the file pointers while the content has been swapped out. And the new files will come into the cache and uh, you know being uploaded at your whatever your internet upload speed is. Right. Okay. So then if I, if I was going to go edit right away, those have been put on the cache drive. So because they were just put there, so they're really fast to get back and forth and it's going to push some of the older files that I maybe haven't, maybe it was a video I edited two weeks ago. It's going to push that, keep that in the cloud and save that local. Okay. Very cool. I like it. It's actually already, it'd been synced. So it's not like you're, it's not that one terabyte's already been synced. And so it's just, it basically keeps the header, the meta for it but then drops the file makes room for the others and pushes them in um so no i I, it's actually uh it's a it's a great way to do it i think this is actually a really good device for finally i think for the average home user who is into photography like you or who's into videography or is keeping large files because it is that it's kind of that set it and forget it Paul, have you, um, so you've you've uh, introduced, and I love to see Backblaze come on, many of my listeners are CrashPlan users. Has there been any discussion with them at all about uh, being able to have CrashPlan as a target to be able to do that backup? Have you guys worked on that at all or talked about it? So CrashPlan has refocused to business only. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have dropped their consumer. Yeah, I know, we've, we suffered. <laughs> we suffered so through all that, yeah. A lot of users actually migrate to other service providers such as Backblaze. So at this point, there's no plan to work with CrashPlan. Yep. Um, we also, uh, we just announced this month uh, another partner in Wasabi. Wasabi is also a very low cost uh, object storage provider with the same uh, Amazon interface. So it's very easy for us to support them. Um, and it's the the way they they are positioning the their storage is uh, at much lower cost, at higher performance than S three, and we've been working with them, and it's it's, it's a great backend for us. Yeah. So Wasabi, and I'll try to spell this one right, and not get the company name wrong. W A S A V I is Wasabi. I told Paul in the pre show that's not what you put in your sushi. Uh, when you're eating that, but um, how? What's the price difference between Backblaze and Wasabi? Is there much of a difference there? Is one cheaper than the other? Does it depend? How does that work? 
Yeah, both of them are very attractive, but there is a trade-off. Uh, Backblaze is $5 per terabyte per month. Wasabi is uh, $3.90 per terabyte per month. However, Backblaze has a smaller, uh, lower cost in egress. Egress is when you download. Uh, Wasabi, Wasabi is higher on egress. Yeah, and that makes sense because they're trying to encourage you for the cheaper upload price. They're trying to encourage you or incent you to keep the data there and yes. not incur, right, those the the transmission costs um, there. They are offering, they say they're six times faster in a fifth of the price of Amazon. That's what they say on their website. Um, why why six times faster than Amazon? How are do, do you know the mechanics behind? Are they really that blazing fast or is Amazon just really that slow? So Amazon uh, storage is for all kinds of applications. And well, I think Wasabi, they optimize more. Uh, the team is from uh, um, Carbonite. Uh, so they are very used to providing economic storage in the cloud. Yeah. Uh, so they came over from Carbonite to, to yeah. start Wasabi. Right. So for basically $4 per terabyte per month. And then uh, they encourage me not to not to take it off. It's really good backup uh, from that standpoint. Um, so, so for me, I'm thinking, okay. So if I have five terabytes, twenty bucks. Am I? Is that does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. And then from a consumer standpoint, um, what do I? Are there? Uh, once I buy the equipment from you, is there? Are there any kind of service fees involved with that? If I'm using Wasabi or Backplace. So um, we work with both of them. However, we use different models to work with Backblaze and Wasabi. Uh, in Backblaze, uh, we have this model called BYOS, bring your own storage. And so you bring your own Backblaze account and it just hook up to our device and all that. Uh, and then we charge a low $10 monthly fee for up to 10 terabyte of Backblaze storage. And you know most people have less than ten. For Wasabi, uh, it's more business-oriented approach that we are taking because you know uh, businesses they appreciate just a package shrimp wrapped. Um, no, you know I don't need to set up my own uh, separate Wasabi account and all that. So we provision Wasabi for you, and we take a little bit overhead on that. And so what would I expect? So I'm paying them or am I paying you for that? And, and so for Asabi, you just pay us in our product offering. Just, you know, so you just receive one bill. For the Backblaze offering, uh, you set up your own Backblaze account. So you pay Backblaze and you also pay us. And then so right now you've got a deal going on. You you get a and I'm assuming for and it's an annual plan right so nine ninety nine a year right it's not nine dollars and ninety nine cents but right. you're getting the equipment with it as well so it's getting a G is that am I getting the G forty the G forty for that plus right. backup storage for the year right yep five terabyte of Wasabi storage and a one terabyte of download per month. So that's plenty for most people. For nine ninety nine, so in, device included, and one year of five terabyte storage included. Yeah. So I imagine for the professional, the home professional, 
this is probably a good option if you want to kind of buy once, not mess with it. You get the equipment, you get five terabytes of storage, you get one terabyte a month to be able to move to to bring that stuff back down. Um, are you finding what what are you finding in the market? What kind of feedback are you getting? Because that's a that's been a fairly new plan, I think, since the last time yes. we talked to you. Yeah, we just announced that two weeks ago, and you know, it's very good reception. Uh, people like the the simple, you know, especially for business people. That's that's exactly how they want to get started. And what we want them to do is to first, you know, get an experience with this, and then since because of our global file system, that if you have multiple sites, all you need to do is to get another cache drive, and then the file system will just sync down to the second cache drive. So in just a few minutes, the whole complete file system appears, just the metadata appears in the second cache drive. So as if both sides are connected on a local area network. You know, everybody's seeing the same NAS interface, the, all the shares appear. And it's just like extending the NAS concept at the cloud scale. So then are those two um, cache drives going to be the, do they have to be the same? Or let's say you have the marketing department in one location, accounting in another, and they're both accessing different files, you know, so is, is the, are the caches, can they be different? Will the cache yes. for each device be based on the read and write um, of yes. that device? Okay. Yeah. So that's the beauty of our design is that everything, uh, you just have different set up different shares for different departments and with different access permissions. Actually, uh, you can easily uh, do, we can also provide for location-based access, even for the same share. Let's say if you want to provide access in the New York office, but not in the Omaha office, then you can set it up that way too. So when you travel from New York to Omaha, you lose that permission you know, okay. for whatever reason you want to do that. So we find people like this concept of not just between different offices, but between on-site and off-premise. So people can access certain shares on-site, but once off-premise, they have no access. So okay. it's just another layer of security that we provide. And then can you have two target backups? Could you do Backblaze and Wasabi if, if you wanted to pay the bill for that? Yes, so they are just, you know, two different pools in our design. Okay. Yeah, it's actually, Mike, it's pretty easy to set up in the console. So I went in there and I think are you, at one point, I think uh, OneDrive can even be a target. Is that still, yes. is that still, that a is still available? Yes. Yeah. So, or, and Dropbox. Um, yeah. So I set up, I, I had a, I have a pretty big OneDrive account. So I went in there and set it up to my OneDrive and it's also set up. They have a, I have a little demo spot on their Amazon S3. So I have that set up as well. And then uh, that was a pretty easy setup. Even, even me, I'm not, you know, I'm not a system admin from that point can go and it's pretty much point click setup. It's like we'd expect you set up a user, you set up what they can have access to. You set up different folders, you give them permissions. It's a pretty easy web interface to be able to get around in. So you guys have done a nice job, Paul, from, from, from making that happen. So um, pretty easy to navigate. It's, um, you know, uh, from a, from a, you, you just mentioned this, I think sometimes when you think about uh, locations, especially for the small business where you have an office, and by the way, I appreciate you saying Omaha, uh, we have an office in Omaha and one in New York. 
the sometimes the hard part is getting those two servers talking to each other through through a yeah. through a VLAN or whatever you're going to do. That works. You, you, what you're saying that works pretty seamlessly, right? And when, yes. once you connect the two together, not a bunch of technical work to get that done. Actually, you don't need in our architecture. You don't need to connect the two offices through VPN at all. I mean, you know, as long as both offices have internet access. So they will talk to our server. We'll do the syncing. It's a global file system that's in the cloud that's, you know, syncing the two devices. And the two devices in our architecture really just act as on-prem cache. So the, the data is safe in the cloud. You never have to worry about it. And while you can access them on-prem as if everyone is in the same office. So if you think about it, we just take, you know, the reason it's called Cloud NAS is to take this NAS concept that people are very familiar with, the share, the, the mapped network drive and, and all that, and extend this, the, the, the interface at the cloud scale. So all of a sudden your hard drives don't exist on-prem anymore. It's safe in the cloud. You enjoy the reliability, scalability, and accessibility of the cloud. And you are able to collaborate between offices while not jettison the, 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 the NAS interface that you are very familiar with. Yeah, no, it's a good way, good way to do it. Okay, so when we think about, I think for the average user, when we're thinking about, because you're going to have to convince some of my listeners that, Going to the cloud, we 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 love to buy hardware, Paul. We love. I mean, I'm crazy. I've I now have like 80 terabytes of storage that I've bought uh, doing this cloud. You know, doing burst mining. I didn't buy it for storage, but we have a lot of folks that have a lot of storage. You've got some reasons why you think moving to the cloud is is better than having than having all this storage. So let's work through your list. Why should I consider cloud? versus building my own equipment, you know, my own infrastructure. Okay, so first of all, I have to say, I believe the future is hybrid. So there's always yeah, lots like of on-prem storage. Yeah, yeah. But then the cloud just, you know, brings so many benefits. It's kind of, you know, uh, it, it, it's only right to take advantage of those benefits. And the NAS interface is great. NAS interface is productive. It's very high performance and all that. And so how do you combine NAS and cloud together? That's our mission, right? So it doesn't mean uh, you should forego all on-prem storage. Now, some of the storage probably you want to keep on-prem. However, cloud is proven to be great for backup, for archive, and now we also made it easy, very easy to be even primary to share amongst different offices. So that's what we've done. Um, by doing so, you know, we kind of bring out the concept of you really have to rethink uh, the old way of, okay, I have primary storage. How do I back up? How do I back up offsite and all that? By using this kind of hybrid architecture, you don't need to worry about many of the things that you need to, you used to worry about. And also, you don't have the silos of on-prem storage anymore. 
you know, it's it's nice to own the storage. It's nice to uh, be always in charge, but it's just very difficult to share with other people when you need to. And when the data is in the cloud and with global file system architecture, sharing, collaborating, and uh, you know, just provisioning on to other sites, uh, even in the case of uh, disaster recovery, it's just very natural. Yeah, uh, in in it's um. You know, you mentioned backup. I think for most of our listeners, that's going to be the number one reason why when we think of, you know, we, I, I doubt for the home use, you probably, although to be honest, we had during the home server days, we used to have guys who would set up a server at home and then they would take one off site, right? And it would be at grandma's or whatever, mom and dad's, and they would sync the two. Right. And that was, you know, there's one. And this isn't this isn't any different than that. In fact, it's a lot easier. I, I think it's a lot easier to set up, go into the console, link them together. Boom. For the most part, you're done. Paul, when I am. So say I do have two different locations and say I'm in New York. We use the New York and Omaha uh, again. And I'm working on the file in New York and then it, it gets saved to the cloud. But then I it gets requested in Omaha. Is that file coming back down to New York and then and then being synced to Omaha? Or is it smart enough just to know, hey, I need that file in Omaha. Let's bring it over to Omaha and put it in the cache. So um, so you have the, the someone working on the file and save it in New York. The moment he saves it is appears in the cloud. The cloud copy actually is the master copy. Hmm. Immediately it syncs down to all locations in Omaha that the user in Omaha will see that file immediately. Although uh, we have different modes, we have a prefetch mode that, you know, when the file appear in the cloud, it would download the content in the prefetch mode. But in the normal mode, he would just see the metadata, which is just the file handle. And the content is not downloaded until he clicks on the file. That's on-demand basis. So in that way, you know, you save the bandwidth and all that. And if you have many, 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 many sites, that, that architecture makes sense. And even if you have, you know, just two sites, let's say you have uh, two people in the Omaha office and both of them need to use the file, only one, the file only needs to be downloaded once to the cache drive and both of them can access on the network from the cache drive. So you don't need to download twice. And today in many other architecture, you know, you have to use, everybody's directly connected to the cloud, which creates a lot, today a lot of uh, bandwidth problem is from file access. Mm -hmm. And so in our architecture, it's very optimized bandwidth management. Word and Excel uh, are notorious for not being very friendly in the cloud or even in even in a, in a network share environment where they have locking issues. And yet those are the two most popular file formats uh, when being used in business. If we've got all this data moving around, it's syncing, it's in the cloud, it's on the cache. How are you making sure that file versions are right? Right. And how's that working? How are you making sure that's right? So in a, let's say in a NAS environment, uh, you have two users working on the same doc file, same Word file, and 
when the first person you know is editing the word file, the second person open the file, say on the NAS, he'll get an alert inside the word application saying, hey, someone else is modifying the file. So you can only have read access. Do you want to do a read access? So you get that locking mechanism uh, in the local area network. What we have done is to extend this locking mechanism exactly the same uh, office file locking mechanism to the cloud level. So between the offices of New York and Omaha, you will get this locking protection as well. And that's how the, the, you don't get into a situation that you over, overwrite each other's files. Yeah. What about, so Mike and I are podcasters. Well, I am. And no, I'm just kidding, Mike. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, just kidding. And uh, Mike and I are sharing a video file that doesn't necessarily have that protection built into it or audio file. Right. Those, the, you know, we, we don't have that overhead of that protection. And Mike and I are trying to edit that same file at the same time. How does that, is there any difference? Do I get some kind of warning or how, how does that work? Okay, so let's say uh, an application, a software application that totally doesn't have concept of file locking. Then what we do is in the cloud, we have conflict resolution. So we will make sure that the files are always versioned and they, you know, they will always appear, let's say two people saving the files at the same time, but they will always appear slightly at different times and they will save two different versions. So the versions are safe. You will never lose a version of the file. And that's how we protect you from, you know, two people working on the same file, the same file name with different content. What about, so I, I'm, I'm, I delete it or I am, I make it, I wipe the file out. And this is real common, right? A lot of, there's a difference between versioning and backup, you know, mm -hmm. If I'm moving this, if Sam using Amazon S3 or any of those services, if I'm working on it here locally and if it's syncing constantly, is there a, are there for me the ability to set version numbers or set the ability to version it so that I can go back and get it? How does that work in case I just wipe it out myself or totally screwed up? Yeah. So if when you, when you uh, unintentionally delete the file, the delete file is still kept as a version. So it becomes a hidden file and you can go to our, our portal and to recover the file and then you know make that visible again. So um, on the other hand, uh, we also uh, do smart versions. Uh, you, you can decide how many versions you want to keep for this, uh, for this share. And you can uh, you can keep no version, you can keep thirty versions, five hundred versions, or you can keep unlimited number of versions. If you set a limited number, we do smart version uh, journal that uh, we we try to separate the versions into by day, by week, and by month. So even though you keep only thirty versions to minimize the storage size. But you know we'll keep more uh, most recent versions, and then less frequent weekly and least frequent monthly versions. So we do these you know smart granularity control to 
to to trade off between storage size and relevancy. Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. We uh, I use uh, a Cronus is it is a local backup here that goes to a hard drive that's protected against fire. It's one of those kinds of things. I'm I'm crazy enough that I have a couple different levels of backup. I've got a local backup that's fire protected. I move them up to the cloud, some of those kinds of things. Somehow I still lose files. I don't know how. But when when uh, last time we talked to you guys, one of the scenarios, and it was it's, it was popular for a while because it's happening to a lot of people. It's gotten less, I think, as people got smart. But that tricky ransomware where I might download something and it just snags everything and encrypts it, right? In theory, that would should move up to the cloud pretty quickly and encrypt those as well. Um, one, how do you protect against it? And two, I think at the time there wasn't a one-click download all, but I'd love that ability to just say, you know, I wiped everything out and I just need a I just need a brand new copy of everything that I had. Talk a little bit about how are you guys handling that? Maybe have you had any customers that, that have gotten bit by ransomware? So ransomware works. Uh, versions works very well for ransomware. So you know what you need to do is just say you got hit by ransomware, and then you just recover the versions from yesterday, right? So that's then you are you are covered. And today we haven't fully automated that, so you have to do some manual work to to recover that. In the future version, we'll, we'll automate that. I also want to bring out another interesting feature that we have, which is to do the mapping control of the share uh, that's visible on the cache drive. So let's say you have something very valuable and you want to archive to the cloud. And then after you, you archive to the cloud, you absolutely want to make that immutable, want to protect it. You don't want to do anything with it. You just want to keep it there. And you have, you know, the, you have ways of, you, know, you can set up, you know, into read only permission and all that. You can also uh, go to the extreme of unmapping the share from the cache drive. So even the cache drive cannot access the, the data in the cloud, but the data in the cloud is there. It's just that it doesn't appear in the NAS share anymore. And that's, you know, that's perfect protection against any kind of malware or anything. I mean, when people cannot see it, they don't know it's there. So security by obscurity is what you're saying. Right. That, right? Just Well, but so in your case, so maybe I have a, a year's worth of documents related to the closing of the books for my business or... Um, I've got photography, I've got files that are really important to me and I want to hide them away so they're not visible anymore. They might be five years old. You're saying I could put them on the NAS, then hide them. They're available in the console, but from a regular file share, they're not available. So a ransomware right. attack would not be able to even see them because they would not be available through the file folder on the local file system. That's what That's you're saying. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I have noticed in the months that I've had this on my system is is the drive is always the first one to show up. So when I click on network files in Windows, your box is there first every time. I mean, it beats everything on my network. Is there some trickery that you guys are doing to keep that? Because, I mean, I run a Drobo and I have a I've got my own server that I'm, I have a Windows 10 box that I'm running as a server. I mean, I've got all kinds of things on my network. What kind of, Paul, what kind of trickery are you doing to get that thing to show up first every time? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. Did, did you I know, know that? 
I don't know. We're sauce. Just, you can't we're, say we're, that. It's like the orange Julius. You know? Yeah, yeah. We're probably just blessed. <laughs> oh, no, I'm serious. I'm, uh, it, it's the craziest thing. Uh, I noticed as soon as we set it up uh, that it when I when I clicked on the uh, when I go to a file share or when I go to my network shares in Windows 10, boom, it was always the first one there. And then it would take a second, and the rest would pop in. Actually, my favorite box. I mean, everybody knows I'm a big Drobo fan. That's the last one to show up all the time. So you're beating Drobo, uh, you're you're beat, you're beating them to the punch um, every single time. You also have in the uh, in the 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 management console, uh, you have the ability to set teams, and so um, I'm assuming then the granularity for permissions goes in most cases of like any structure would, but teams, person, files, right? Is that kind of the the hierarchy on how that works? Yeah. So in Teams, you can set up uh, the user as well as groups. Uh, we support Active Directory. And uh, we have Azure AD coming up. So that's pretty exciting. A lot of users are kind of you know wanting that. Uh, so in that, you, it's very easy to deploy. All you have to do is just to you know deploy us in the Active Directory environment, and all the users can join up single sign-on and all that. So that's we support that. Furthermore, uh, not only we support uh, you know, your permissions, Active Directory, but also we extend that to the web portal. Let's say you are outside the office, you need to access your files uh, from, from the web. We extend the, all the Active Directory support permission, sub permissions to the web portal as well. So that's something special that we did. Yeah, no, I think you, Active Directory is an absolute must to be able to get you know get that integration and make it easier for people just to load their current environment in and then make this work. I, I imagine that that's been um, that has been well received. I was popping into the apps section on the console. We had mentioned earlier Dropbox, OneDrive. You also have some Slack integration. We talked a little bit about the last time, but have you seen much adoption of people? You know, that's Slack. Seems like everybody's using Slack these days to get the messaging uh, right. Uh, how are folks using that, or or or, or are they? No, we don't see too many users using Slack as a kind of a management alert, uh, messaging. Uh, that's what we do, uh, mostly just for informational and alerts. Uh, somehow in our user base, we haven't seen that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was always wondering. We, we use that, that internally, and it's, it's great. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. It is one of those things that you really love it or it just doesn't work for you. Um, you know, uh, we, we've we've seen that, especially as the teams get bigger, that seems to be more and more of a problem. Slack works pretty good about to 50 and then it gets kind of unmanageable. So the, the bigger the teams uh, goes. Paul, when we think about what are you thinking about in the future here? Certainly you've if you go back and listen to the episode we did back in August, you guys have made some big jumps in some additional plans, in some additional equipment, which I'll expect that box uh, anytime with that 16 terabytes in it. But uh, the, um, which we actually alluded to that a lot in the last show. Um, but um, what, what do you, as you look ahead, and, and I know there's some things that you can't, you know, you can't talk about, but as you look ahead in, in this area, anything you're excited about or, or any kind of future stuff you're looking forward to? Yeah, uh, we were selected as one of the eight storage startups to watch by Tech Target. 
Um, and they were they selected us because a lot of people are saying this year edge computing will be big. Uh, you know that yes, cloud is already big, but to make cloud work better, you need something at the edge to work with the cloud. And basically, cache drive is an edge computing device for storage. We do a lot of uh, dedupe, encoding, and all that at the edge, and also with the cache to make the performance fast. So it's really a, you know, it falls into this edge computing paradigm. And we think by doing this uh, allows the cloud to be able to handle bigger files, a lot more files, and to collaborate, you know, uh, between remote sites a lot more easily. So we really look forward to this edge computing concept. I mean, you know, people were, a couple of years ago, people were so mesmerized by cloud. They think everything is just cloud only. And, you know, you just have your little uh, mobile device to access the cloud. But I guess uh, <clears throat> Alexa and, and uh, many other edge devices changed that. They need that to make the to really make make it productive and to create future applications. You still need good edge devices. Yeah. So uh, that's what we are seeing. We see a lot of activities uh, in the at the edge, and storage is 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 one that is also going in that direction. You said the magic word a minute ago called dedupe. And that was when, when back in our Windows Server, you know, days when we were doing this, that was a big deal because it saved space. And, and Microsoft actually did it and broke it and tried to do it again, and it never worked very well. Can you talk, Paul, a little bit about when you say dedupe, what do you mean by that? And how are you guys implementing that in your system? How are you deduping? Okay, so we do dedupe at the edge. Uh, in other words, you know, we calculate the signature and then we compare whatever signature is already in the cloud. So we know whether the, this uh, file already exists or not. Actually, our customers use, utilize the dedupe uh, features, you know, some very creatively, uh, like they have a working data set they don't want to touch. So they just, you know, duplicate that into a, a another uh, directory. And then they just work on the second directory. That's not going to create double your cloud storage because you know we dedupe. So all those things, then you know, whatever is different is saved. So so people are doing you know creative things with dedupe. Um, we do dedupe uh, in a we think in a meaningful way. In our architecture, there are different, you can set up different pools. If you remember, you know, uh, you have your storage layer and then you have pool layer at the lower, uh, then under pool, then you have the shares. So we do dedupe at the pool level. In other words, you know, uh, we don't, to make it more efficient and to make it more, uh, more relevant, uh, we think inside the pool, which is a related workspace, the files can be deduped together and they are more related uh, um, things that you want to keep together. So we dedupe at this layer. So we are able to do it uh, quite efficiently, um, you know, without, usually dedupe is a very enterprise uh, feature. I mean, NAS devices don't have dedupe. Uh, you know, all the desktop NAS out there, they don't dedupe, but we, 
uh, we 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 do dedupe, and then you know we do this to save to reduce the cloud storage size. And so is, uh, and then who gets to be the, is it just a, I'm assuming you're just doing a pointer to that file. It's stored in one place. And then the file that's the dupe, uh, basically going to just get a, a, a pointer over to the other file. Is it right. as simple as that? Or is it, is it pretty complicated? Well, it is more, it is more involved in, in, than that. I mean, you know, we do, uh, our, our architecture involves chunks and all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's more involved. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, super important, I think, and, and especially as you're thinking about as you're paying for that cloud storage, that's good for the customer in the sense that if I had a bunch of duplicate or if I made a mistake and uploaded, I think, with some big pictures or some big videos, if you make a mistake and you end up uploading those to the same. And I, I like the group concept because that is kind of a logical. You also can set permissions at the group level, right? Where people yes. can see and can't see based on the group. Right. So it is possible I could have the same file across two groups and it's not going to dedupe that for me, right? It's going to actually right. store that file that right. file twice. Yeah, and that makes sense. But super important because I don't want to be paying, especially in the big video space. Right. Um, and you think, well, why would you make two? Well, sometimes people do. It's just a mistake, right? Uh, that gets kind of done. Hey, w then you also said edge, uh, edge computing. You give an example of uh, kind of Alexa and some of the things. Um, what else? What else do you define on the edge? That's a that's a term I haven't heard a lot of. We've heard a lot of cloud, but uh, what else are you defining in that area of, of edge? And do you call this edge because it's it's what faces the customer before the cloud. Is that why you're calling it edge? Yes, I mean edge really means uh, it's a it's an on-prem uh, device appliance. Usually, it's lightweight. Uh, you know, uh, uh, very not. It's not a. It, it doesn't have to be a critical component. Uh, very mobile, agile kind of deployment that you, it's easy to deploy at multiple sites. Uh, it's very mobile. Uh, that's usually that's the characteristics of a uh, edge device. One one example is like um, <clears throat> it's like IoT, right? Internet of Things. Uh, it's impossible for all those little things to talk to the cloud directly. That's just not going to be efficient. So you know, like all your light bulbs, you may have uh, ten smart light bulbs with Wi-Fi interface, but they all talk to one hub. And then the hub goes through the route to the to the cloud. So that that's that's an edge architecture that makes sense. Rather than the light bulb talk to the cloud all directly, you have a hub kind of talking to them. Mm -hmm. um, so and a lot of data actually doesn't need to go to the cloud and come back down to a, another computer in the same office. And that's where the hub or the edge device also helps resolve. Otherwise, you can imagine all the data has to go to the cloud and pretty soon the internet is gonna be, you know, pretty clocked up with all those files and, you know, people, all different diff, diff, people at different locations trying to access the same content. Yeah. Are you finding businesses are maybe putting more than one device in, in one location and taking advantage, even though it's not new, maybe it's the New York office, but they have different floors or are you finding that, based on the number of people that are accessing them? Are you seeing that where you might have multiple devices in one location or are they sizing it out properly based on your offerings? Uh, 
Yeah, we mostly see uh, for different sites, each site with a device. Uh, we haven't gotten into multi-devices on the same site situation. However, we have seen customers, you know, with offices in the U.S., in Japan, <clears throat> uh, in Korea. Uh, they share, uh, they they collaborate and share files, sync files. This way, we have deploy our uh, customers deploying in Africa, uh, where uh, the infrastructure is not as robust as in the U.S., so the internet can be on and off. That's the perfect place for a cache edge device because you know as long as the file is in the cache, uh, the work is not interrupted. Although the cloud, uh, the cloud is interrupted, but the the work is not. And then uh, the the cache is smart enough to do retransmission when the cloud is back up and all that stuff. Yeah. So it's just a very uh, powerful at the same time lightweight architecture. Yeah, that's that actually might be an advantage uh, in in and more of an advantage in lower bandwidth locations or in sporadic. Uh, yeah. In Africa's case, they 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 not only have poor bandwidth, but they sometimes have it's it's on and off, and so having it cached, having it smartly cached, allows people to be productive when it's down, and then it syncs back up uh, right. when things come up. Right. Um, Another so. business customer uh, talks about their case of. Um, too much of the the Dropbox like file access happening during a certain time of the day. So rather than uh, upgrading their bandwidth, you know, say double triple their internet bandwidth, they opt for this cache, uh, this edge uh, architecture. That you know, because there is a lot of sharing amongst office workers already, so that just reduces tremendous unnecessary bandwidth. To the cloud. So, are you saying they're shutting off kind of the syncing to the cloud during the day and letting it all be cache, and then at night it syncs one copy? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, I mean, they just you know rather than using the Dropbox, uh, oh, I uh, everybody yeah. goes to the cloud. They use the Moro Data Cloud NAS that people can share on the cache and only. You know, upload or download one copy to the cloud, one unique copy to the cloud, rather than you know multiple redundant copies yeah. by the individual PCs. I get you there. Hey, last question for you. An hour goes super fast, so thanks for coming on here. But you also have some VM, uh, some VMware stuff going on there. Can you quickly talk? We got we have some VMware folks here that listen to the podcast, and uh, we didn't mention those, but why those, and what do those look like? Yeah, we have uh, VMs for VMware as well as uh, Hyper-V. Uh, those VMs are just getting so popular in the uh, uh, business or uh, in MSP resellers. Uh, they have uh, they have the hardware, and it's very easy for them to deploy VMs. And uh, so we support VMs. It's just very very fast deployment. It's very convenient. Uh, to to just to run our uh, service on their existing hardware. So you're providing them just the software uh, yes. to sit on top of existing, and it's going to pre-configure it for a certain size cache, or do they have to have, a, and they have to have, of course, the, the cache available. How does that work? Yeah, so they can choose. We support very large cache size, you know, I think it's uh, up to 100 terabyte cache size that way. Uh, so it depends on how much of their 
of their physical infrastructure is. Yeah, and not to leave Microsoft out, but you also have one that's available for um, Hyper-V? Yes, Hyper-V is from Microsoft and VMware ESXi. Yeah, and, and how long before I can sync this to Azure? Uh, so, yeah, so we have so many things uh, lined up. We That is one of the things we would like to get to. Oh, good. Good. As a Microsoft MVP, you know, I'm obligated to say that. So <laughs> I, I have to. Otherwise, they'll revoke when I go to Seattle this spring. They'll be like, Jim, we heard that podcast and you didn't ask about Azure. So, But, you know, Azure, Azure AD is coming up. Yeah. So that uh, do you have a release time for that or are you, you still kind of holding that back? Yeah, it would be sometime, uh, you know, probably already Q2. So uh, that's Azure AD. Today, you you had said you have Active Directory integration. Right, right. That's so we already support on-prem Active Directory domain controller. Okay. and But uh, a lot of uh, smaller businesses, they they just start out with, you know, Office 365, Azure AD. And so for those houses, uh, they, again, you know, lightweight and everything cloud is the emphasis. Mm-hmm. And they would like to have single sign-on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that should work real well. Mike, I've hogged the mic like I usually do when you hear anything else that you got uh, for Paul. No, I think, uh, you know, I just, I've been thinking this whole time about how I would implement this in my home network. I'm excited. I think it's really, it's a very, very cool concept. It's, like I said before, it reminds me of the iPhone photo thing, which is something I've literally thought about and said, this would be great. Cause in my current workflow, I use Google drive and I back up, but you, I have to go in and selectively say, you know, cause I come in and I do exactly what I told you. I dump all this drone data and then I say, Hey, okay, keep this in the Google Drive cloud because I don't have space on my laptop because a lot of times I'm mobile when I'm doing this. I'm not in my home network. Um, uh, but if I was at home and I had something like this, it would be it would be perfect for a video editor where that cache drive keeps the things I'm working on, but all that extra big video stores somewhere else. So I've just been thinking about that the entire time. Very cool concept. Yeah, it's. Um, I've thought about you when we first talked with Paul and the team back uh, last fall, I was actually thinking about you and some of the work that you do with your drones and, yeah. you know, it would allow you, you know, for, for some of us guys that already have all this hardware, I mean, it, it, you know, you, you're kind of thinking, man, I've, I've already sunk some cost in the hardware. Although we may have some folks that may try to use the virtual machine uh, access to this, you know, they may set up their own, their own, use their software on their own equipment. But I was thinking to you, Mike, you know, uh, four ninety nine and and some monthly, you know, ten bucks a month to these guys plus, you know, whatever you need in extra storage, and you're up right. and running uh, on a pretty convenient. And if it's your business, you really start choosing convenience sometimes over cost. You know, kind of like you know, I'll pay a little bit extra to not have to think about what I'm doing and what it's doing. I just want to plug it in. It's it's literally a nook. Yeah, uh, plug it into the network turn it on. In fact, when it, uh, the, here's the nice thing about it. Uh, the other day it shut off and it happens from time to time. I'll screw something up and I'll turn it off by mistake. Uh, Tony sent me a note. Hey, Jim, your, your server's off. And then I was like, Oh, so I turned it back on. I didn't have to sign into it. I didn't have to like, you know, it wasn't a windows box. It was, right. it was super nice. To that just, is really nice. It's, it's literally one button and it was working. And I love how this is scalable too for all different sizes of organizations. So for example, I've been thinking about one of my buddies in Kansas City 
wants to pretty much do an upshot drone, like an extension of upshot only in Kansas city. Uh, they get a lot more offers for that kind of work down there in the bigger city than we do in Omaha. And man, if we just had one of these devices in each of our homes and I can, he can put the, cause I would be editing. He's not an editor. He would be getting the drone footage. I'd be editing it. This would be a hands down perfect scenario um, for that. If he just threw everything up there, I have access to it. Then we have the cash. Uh, so I just love that even for a two person operation like that being in two different cities, it would be perfect all the way up to huge organizations. Yeah. Paul, the, the equipment itself, uh, this isn't always, you know, our home server folks, they're thinking about a management console and monitors and all that stuff. I don't, I don't have to plug anything into this box. Do I, in fact, it makes a really good phone charger. I'll just, I'll just be honest. Do I have to, do I have to, it's all web, it's all web based, right? Yeah, it's all web-based. There's no uh, uh, console on the network you have to log into. You just manage from the cloud, and that's that's great for you know for multi sites. You just everything is just one console. You just manage from the cloud. You can uh, configure and you can disable any way you want to. Yeah, it's super easy to set up. I I can't I, even I can't screw up just push and play and or pushing the power button it comes on you don't have to really and it it's actually comes up pretty fast so paul anything else that we didn't cover that you want to say before we kind of wrap it yeah so i really like it when you say uh you know not to think too much about your storage you know that's that's why we do this thing so that that storage becomes automatic right so even when you say uh we we've done uh, our code so that Say you are transmitting in the middle of a file, a large file, say a you know 10 gigabyte file, and you lose power. And then when you turn it back on, we'll continue from where we left off. So that is that kind of, uh, you know, don't think about your storage. You know, you don't have to think, oh, how do I recover these things? Everything is just up there. Everything is just, uh, the, you don't have to worry about the connection, the in, you know, all that. It's just retry for you. So that's the that's really the underlying concept, and uh, I think uh, we really make the cloud easy to use. Uh, make cloud storage work just like your good old on-prem storage. So that's you know we hope people can can come to appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I've been thinking about how I can hack this thing to put something else on it. Uh, let's get nerdy for a second real quick. What's the underlying or the underlying system, the OS? What's this thing running that's doing all this stuff? Yeah, so we run on Linux and with our own uh, you know, proprietary software on it. Yeah. Okay, so easily easy for me to hack into and <laughs> just just get I can't sometimes I look at it it's I have I have it mounted to the wall. So what I've done uh, my equipment is I have a pegboard and then I have literally just mounted all my networking gear. I use the little plastic strips they would normally be used for piping, but they make really nice on a pegboard and it just holds it against the wall. So it's sitting in eye shot right here. I can kind of see it. I mounted it the way it did so I could get to the USB ports. I'm not lying. It's a good phone charger. You can, it's just <laughs> sitting there. You, the USB ports work. Uh, so it's a good way to do it. But I've often thought, mm, I wonder if they'd get mad at me if I hack something on there. So <laughs> but I have, uh, Tony would catch me if I did that. So Paul, thank you for taking, uh, for taking the time to, to come on today. It's good to get an update with things that are going on. I think maybe uh, we've Sold Uyghur on a couple for his business to do the yep. uh, to oh, do the yeah. editing with yeah four ninety nine and and a little bit of uh, 
cloud storage in your in business and uh and and not a bad uh thing to go with mike anything else nope okay yeah paul we're gonna um i, I appreciate you coming on we're i gonna really enjoy the talk yeah, no, it's good to good to connect with you again. Again, I would encourage you if you didn't hear the first time we had Paul on, uh, he was on three twenty two. So if you go to the average guy TV slash hgg three two two, I know that's a lot to remember, but just go out there and listen to it. Great uh, historical look at the NAS market, and uh, we talked about his time in developing and making his own chip and some of that kind of stuff. And so. Paul, I appreciate you coming on here. Stay, uh, we'll stay in touch. Um, I'm, you know, um, you, you may have Uyghur as a customer, so we'll have to get that one figured out. We uh, we appreciate you coming on. We'll let you go. Mike and I need to close up the show. Okay. No, no need for you to stay around. Thanks for giving us Thank the you. hour. Appreciate Thank it. You, Thank you. You bet. Thank Good you, Mike. You. Enjoy Thank the you. talk. Bye bye. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for coming on. The red button up there on the if you take your mouse, Paul, and hover up there, the red button will get you off. You can go home and have some dinner. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Take Bye. care, Paul. We'll see you. Okay. What do you think, Mike? I, I really love this concept. I really, really like this concept. This is something that, I mean, it just makes total sense. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's like, it's why not, don't all NASs operate this way? You just start to think about this, and you're like, it just makes so much sense now. You're not loading drives in. I know some of us no. like that, right? Some of us like the equipment and setting it up and having that. You know, and, and I'll be honest, I looked at, so when crash plan went, I really wish I would have ditched it and went with Backblaze and then just attached this thing to it. Right. That would have been, that, yeah, makes total and I sense. Still, to be honest with you, I still might like, so I came down this morning. No, I came down this afternoon to start the show and my HP, you know, my, my home server, basically my window server turned off again. And it was just like, ah, uh, you know, maybe I should just, plus I want the drives in it for burst. <laughs> I'm not right, lie. right. Well, yeah, yeah. Th there's definitely scenarios where you don't need it. But for example, my NAS right now, uh, well, I technically have two, but my main, like just, I call it cold storage, just where I throw everything as a backup is a two bay QNAP that's passively cooled. It's the slowest thing ever to transfer files to and from. Yeah. And then I got to worry about that backing up. And it's just a pain. It's a real pain point for me. So like, they kind of, this was a kind of a perfectly timed podcast because I've been looking for a different solution to that. Yeah. Now, my solution was going to be once burst stops, you know, once we stop mining was to throw all these drives into a big NAS, but I could get best of both worlds and start with this. Well, especially I if you're... for the pro business um, for Google Drive because of Upshot. So I have, I don't even know how much storage there for that. I could use that account. And um, now it doesn't work. attach to Google Drive. Oh, it doesn't? No. I could have swore no. it did. I thought I was oh. looking at the website. Okay. So um, maybe it does. Maybe I, 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 let me, let me. We had Dropbox, OneDrive, S3, Backblaze, Wasabi. You're right, not yeah. Google Drive. So you have to do something a little bit different there, right? Well, I do Dropbox too. I have actually two pro plans. No, there you go. I pay for the pro uh, yeah. Dropbox. Yeah, there you go. The, the real cool... The, well, the real cool thing for you, though, is that would be good for backup because you just have a one terabyte drive, right? But the um, the really cool thing for you guys is it connects. Like, if, so if your buddy in Kansas City had it, they would connect. That would be huge. If if that ends Super up happening, simple. if the Kansas City have, like, this would be a yeah done deal. Yeah, five hundred bucks, and you're you've got your storage taken care of, basically. 
that yeah. is where you need it. I have one guy shooting a bunch of big, huge video files and one guy editing in two different completely locations. Like yeah. how else do you make that work besides something right. like this or a VPN into something? It's just, it gets messy. It, it gets more complicated. I was just at Christian's place uh, two nights ago and he's got a big complicated VPN tunnel between there and, and Buffalo. And it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I could never, I just could never do it. And right. so many of the guys and gals that are listening could, I can't. And it's, so it is one of those um, I've been thinking through since I've had this in my network, I've been kind of thinking through, how do I really want to use this? And how do I, I'm having a hard time. I'll be honest. I'm having a hard time. I did pay for that crash plan deal. It wasn't a lot to be honest, but I'm still having, a, I'm still having a hard time giving that storage up. Um, right. Although it hasn't been great. It's been okay. The console's okay. This is really cool. Uh, this, you know, yeah. So I I, I want to come switch. take a look. I think I might swing over to your place at some point if yeah. I ever think about getting one and just looking at how it all functions. Yeah, maybe uh, I just set up an account for you and on the box, and we can. No, there we go. You can kind of you can log in and see it and test see it, move some files to it. Have you tested it? Okay, so if if I was going to use this as a NAS, now right now my second NAS is where I store my Plex files, and that's actually local to the computer that runs them and is the Plex server. Do you think you could run something like Plex files, storing them on this? And then another yeah. computer being the server. You wouldn't want to back those Plex files up because, well, you would or you wouldn't, depending upon your need. But you could just shut that off so it just stays local. Well, I, I would want to. I do back those up because oh, I'm thinking yeah. I mean, that, that's my entire library. If that goes down, that's all of my movies. Yeah, I've gotten rid of the DVDs at this point, so it um, reads just like a network file. So okay. if if Plex can see it, boom, you're and in. download speeds. You know, I have it's super fast. 180, I think, yeah. is usually my average. Would be fast enough to stream that down, even if it wasn't in the cache. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of built this thing for. Well, yeah, you're going to wait for it to bring it down if it's going to do it that way. But um, I've I, they've kind of built this thing for speed, so yeah. it's I like it's it. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. No, good to have them back on. I, I, I it was great to have them kind of go through their new plans because Wasabi is new. Uh, uh, S2, or I'm sorry, yeah, S2 from Backblaze is kind of new. Is that what they're calling it? S2? Yeah. S2 from Backblaze is kind of uh, new as well. And uh, no, sorry, B2 from Backblaze. There we go. Right. It's S2 on Amazon. There we go. Is uh, is kind of new as well. And uh, I just love what they're doing. They're really making a run at it. And that VM thing, I kind of need to look into more into that because that's kind of, now that I think about my last question, what should have been is like, okay, it, could you just put this software onto everyone's current NASs? And pretty much be a service instead of actually offering these cash drives. I know that there's a lot of backend stuff that they yeah. that works with their hardware directly. But if I could take this software, put it on my current NAS or even on one of the servers I have, and pretty much turn it into one of these devices, yeah, I, you'd I'd check, pay them the more per month if I could do that. Check the know? pricing on that because yeah. you pay with the VMs. You pay about as much as if you had the hardware. True. So it's, it's, um, you know, they're selling the software as a service then at that point or the software. And so the check it out. You could $500. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, that the, uh, the, the VMware one. So yeah, you could, I, 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 I though, to be honest with you, if you're going for ease, just get the box. Sorry. It's that's what too, I mean. This cash drive, yeah, the yeah. box is $500. Right. It, is, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the VM and the, lowest version of the cash drive are the same price. And for so that, I just go with them $10 just, a month and then yeah. whatever you pay to back back blaze right. for. Storage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like so it. drop dead simple. 
Super and, simple. Uh, pretty easy to do. So anyways, we thank Paul for coming on and uh, thank those guys there at uh, at Morrow Data. And again, M-O-R-R, no, no W, M-O-R-R-D-A-T-A dot com if you want to check it out. Oh, so how many times can I screw this up, Uyghur? <laughs> it's okay. I'm trying. I don't know why. I can't get that right. M-O-R-R-O-D-A-T-A. I've only done it like eight times. I even practiced it before the show, so I wouldn't mess it up. Well, that's all right. Nobody's perfect. Hey, speaking of not being perfect, oh, we do have some perfect supporters that are out there. I want to thank you guys. Did you like that segue? Was that pretty good? That yeah, was pretty we, good. <laughs> we want to thank you for uh, supporting us. If you head out to theaverageguy.tv, click on the Patreon link. Uh, and for those of you that do it every single month, we appreciate you guys being out there. Uh, Patreon messed up some stuff and they messed up my payments. So I got to go out and figure that out. You might want to double check and just make sure you're supporting as well. Your credit card didn't oh, fall yeah. off. One of those kinds of things. They went through a weird payment thing at Patreon and it screwed some stuff up. So if you want to do that, head out to theaverageguy.tv, click on Patreon or go to theaverageguy.tv slash support or go to patreon.com slash theaverageguy.tv. We'll get you there as well. Don't forget, you can contact us. Send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv. You can track me down on Twitter at jcollison. Theaverageguy.tv platform, both web and media hosting, powered by Maple Grove Partners. And I was at Maple Grove Partners HQ on Tuesday night, hanging out with Christian in Virginia. That was pretty cool. We got out to uh, to the headquarters out there. I got to see some of his gear. A very finely tuned television from, from one John Biggs, who was out there, got that done for Christian. Very, very cool to be in the headquarters. All the server stuff's in Buffalo, so I didn't get to see that. But it was good to hang out with Christian. Of course, get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and trust. For more information, visit maplegrovepartners.com. We appreciate them and their sponsorship here of Home Gadget Geeks. Very helpful. They they do all the hosting. By the way, if you haven't been out to theaverageguy.tv and you want to see how fast it is, holy crap. Averageguy.tv, boom, it's there. It's just crazy. Christian, and he, he likes to – he's like, oh, I wonder how fast it is today. Every time I see it, I wonder how fast it is today. Boom. It's done. So it's, he's pretty, he is pretty proud. You got something going on in your bandwidth too, by the way, Mike. So see if you can track down something going on. You can also listen to Home Gadget Geeks on our iPhone app. Head out to theaverageguy.tv. No, the, what is it? That's going to be homegadgetgeeks.com and uh, download those apps. Best way to listen live. And you know what? I didn't take down the t shirt link. So if you head out to theaverageguy.tv slash shirt, you can still get the shirts. I need to work with Addy. I have been a little distracted with mining. Speaking of that, Mike and I are going to give an update on our mining in the post show. So if you've been getting into this mining thing with us and you're not listening live, head over to Patreon. Just $1 a month gets you post show, gets you pre in the post. And uh, you can you can stay caught up with what we're doing from a mining perspective. There is some shocking, and I'm going to say shocking news from one Mike Weger about mining. Don't give it away, Weeks. Don't do it. I won't. Don't give it away. It's going to be in the post show, but some shocking, I'm going to say. That's a little clickbait. Shocking news. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I'll give it to you. I'd say it's, shocking. It's actually pretty shocking. So uh, that that's what's up next in the post show. And, of course, you can't get the post show without uh, joining us as a Patreon subscriber. One buck gets you in. One buck a month. Not much. That's cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And we appreciate your sponsorship of it uh, as well. Okay, we are live every Thursday, except last Thursday. But we're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central. 9 Eastern out here at TheAverageGuy.tv live. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little light on shows. So if you got some ideas, if you got some guests, I could use some help. I've been 
focusing so much on mining that I have not been doing my job as a podcaster. And so I could use your help. If you got some ideas, uh, send me a note, Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. If it can be related to tech, that would be awesome. So appreciate that and your help in advance. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, out here at TheAverageGuy.tv slash live. Thanks for coming out tonight and stay around for the post show. With that, I'll say goodnight, everybody.